Welcome to an inspirational message from Creekwood Church. We hope that you have an encounter with God and discover practical ways to help you live a life of purpose. What's up, Creekwood? I said, what's up, Creekwood? And it's so good to have all of you here with us this morning. Um, Listen, we still have people that are coming in at the 930, which is awesome. Um, So if you do have any space between you and your neighbor, go ahead and like, you can sit on their lap. We don't care. Um, But help us find room for those, uh, especially along the aisles as much as possible. This is normally a problem in the 11 o'clock. This is the good problem to have. You know what I'm talking about? Um, So um, it's an honor to have you with us. Can we give it up for all of our first time guests? Come on right here. If this is your first time to Creekwood Church, um, man, we, we actually want to buy you lunch today. So it's a pretty sweet deal. Uh, if you'll take a moment and fill out the red connection card in the seat back in front of you um, before you leave today and take that out to our team at the Information Center. Um, we, uh, we love to be able to exchange that card for a gift card to Oliver's right across the street from the hospital. So thank you so much for being here. I also want to let you know um, if you're maybe you're new or maybe you haven't You've been here a few months, and maybe you don't know about this class, so I want to invite all of you to a special class we call Discovering Creekwood. Uh, in this class, we talk about our history as a church, like how did we become a church? Um, we talk about our vision, our values, and where we're going as a church. And so um, I, I can't speak for every one of you, but I would say in my family, if I'm going to make a, a church a home church, I want to know everything about it, okay? And so uh, this class, we're going to tell you about Creekwood. But we also want to meet you, okay? So if you've not been to this class, Discovering Creekwood, it's in two weeks, and so you're all invited to come out to that. Uh, it's at Walnut Creek Country Club, which is really cool because we provide lunch and child care. So you do need to get on our website to sign up for that class. So it's an honor, again, to have all of you with us. Um, I do want to say um, thank you for giving to the Hurricane Harvey relief efforts, um, uh, some of you, if you've been online, you've seen we have online giving for that. And so a lot of you have given online already for the, the relief efforts. Um, if you want to give today to that, it's not too late. On a check on the memo line, you can put Har- Hurricane Harvey relief, and we'll make sure 100% of that will go towards um, providing relief. You know, they need relief right now, all right? And they need um, legitimate help, not just legitimate prayers, okay? And so if you want to give to that, we'll make sure it all goes to that. We also are taking in donating, uh, donation items. And so um, there's a truck, a big U-Haul in the back. Um, and so between um, really until one o'clock today, if maybe you didn't know about this, if you want to go on our website, it's a list of things you can donate because there are certain things they don't need anymore. They're inundated with certain things. Uh, and so if you want to get on our website, find out what they need, and come back by 1 o'clock today, you can still pack that truck, all right? We'll make sure that 100% of that goes to relief efforts. Um, how many of you have been waiting in the gas lines? Oh, my gosh. Okay. I, it was so frustrating. I, I, I got caught up in the, um, the fear, okay, like we're running out of gas, and um, and I waited in like a 20, 30-minute line, and I was like, this is ridiculous, all right? Um, but I saw the lines, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I got to get gas because I've only got three-quarters of a tank. Um, and so I got in the line and waited. In, but I'm just telling you, if you need gas still, I've, I have heard um, this. If you need gas, um, I heard Taco Bell is giving people gas. So I don't know if you need it. <laughs> 
we need a little bit of humor right now. I mean, I'm just kind of like a little potty humor at church, okay? Like, it's fine. It's my favorite form of humor. Um, and so, um, anyway, how many of you know that we need each other? Like, we need each other, okay? Like, I need you, and you need me. I need you like Shaq needed Kobe. I need you, listen to this, like Jordan needed Pippin, all right? Some of you are like, Jordan didn't need anybody, okay? Like, I know, and he's still the best. I don't care what anyone says, LeBron, Jordan's the best, all right? He will always be the best. Um, But I need you like Lennon needed McCartney. I need you like Kanye still needs Kim, all right? So some of you are like, too far, too. Then some of you are like, who's Kanye? Okay, so um, that we are better together, okay? We're better together. And I don't know who originally wrote this quote. I'd love to give him um, credit for it, but I don't know who wrote it, but I heard it the first time like 15, 16 years ago by Delissa Nutt. And she said it in a Bible study class. And I never knew how how much this quote was gonna change my life. But here it is. You show me your friends and I'll show you your future. If you show me your friends, I will show you your future. Solomon said it a little bit different way. Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived. And this is what Solomon said in Proverbs 13. He said, walk with the wise and become wise. For a companion of fools suffers harm. Um, what that's saying is if you hang out with people that are smarter than you, chances are they're going to bring you up to their level, right? If you hang out with people that have stronger finances than you, chances are you're going to rise up to their level. If you, if you hang with people that are closer to God than you are, chances are you're going to rise up to their level. On the other hand, okay, if you hang out with people that are idiots, all right, there's a good chance they're going to bring you down to their level. Um, and, and it's crazy because... Um, I was going to have you um, write out your, your five closest friends. I was going to have you do that, and I was, I was like, this is going to take too long. Um, but sociologists say that we are the average of our, of our five closest friends. So you are in the middle of every, in every category of your five closest friends in finances and how close you are with God. You always have some, some friends that are a little bit closer to God than you are and some that, are, that are, aren't quite there. Or in, Same with in every category, we're in the middle, and some of you are like, oh, great, all my friends are idiots, all right? And you're like, so I'm telling you, you're an average idiot. It's all I'm, I'm just kidding, I'm kidding. Um, but here's what Pastor Sarah said that I, I love this. She said, there's a part of Christ you will never know until you understand relationships. You'll, you'll never know that part of Christ until you really truly understand relationships. And so today I wanna to talk to you about the power of relationships. I wanna talk to you about the power of what community should look like in our life because it's so important. Um, sociologists talk about three different types of poverty. There's three different types of poverty. There's the one that most of us think about is financial poverty. So we know when you, you're, you, if you don't have, then you know you, you don't make any money. You, you're in financial poverty. Um, and then there's spiritual poverty, which, by the way, you could be the wealthiest person in the world and be spiritually poor. Okay? Um, then the third type of poverty is relational poverty. Relational poverty. And this is the one I think that's, for Americans, is the most dangerous. Because most of us aren't aware that we're actually relationally poor. We're not even aware of it. And so this is why it's dangerous for Americans. And how many of you have been to a third world country? Like you've, you've been to it, you've seen um, people that are, are financially poor. 
Um, here's what's going to happen. If you, by the way, if you haven't gone to one of our uh, mission trips with, with one of our teams, you need to go because it will change your life. Um, but here's what's going to happen. Day one and day two, because you think about financial poverty and finan- you're going to see how financially poor some people really are and how really financially rich you really are. And what will happen is you're going to go and you're going to be like, they don't even have running water, like clean running water. They don't even have real floors on, on their, in their houses. They, they live on dirt floors. Some of them that I saw in the Dominican Republic lived in the sewage. And I was like, are you kidding me? Their heads were popping out where sewage water runs through. And this is their home. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. And what you do is you go, these people are so poor. But I promise you by day three and day four on one of these mission trips, what will happen? is you'll go, I don't know what it is, but I'm actually jealous of these people. I'm a little bit jealous of them. And it's like, what do they have that I don't have? And what it is, is they don't have stuff, but they have true, deep, authentic relationships. They have real relationships. They have, they, they have to because they don't have anything else. They don't have things. They're not financially rich. And so they depend on each other like crazy. They have real joy because of it. And so they're not, they're not relationally poor. And what happens is you come home to your house and you, and you come home to your stuff and you're like, there is something I'm missing. And what I'm telling you is you're not missing something, you're missing someone. Because we are relationally poor. I want to give you the definition of friendship. Uh, this is out of Proverbs 17, 17. If you want to write down Proverbs 17, 17. This is the definition of friendship. A friend is someone you may or may not know well who accepts your friend request on Facebook. This person is born to like and comment on your post to make you feel good about yourself. That's Proverbs 17, 17 of the FBV, the Facebook version. I'm not sure if if you guys have ever... (laughs) Okay, that's not a real version, just for the record, all right? Um, But the real version of, uh, of, uh, of a friendship, Proverbs 17, 17, says this. And I want you to repeat after me, Proverbs 17, 17, a friend does what? Loves at all times. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. What would it look like if you had a friend that loved you at all times? Not, not just for a couple years, but at all times in your life, in all seasons of your life, and, the, and, the, and they celebrate with you in every aspect of your life, and, the, and they, they cry on your shoulder when you're going through something. What would it look like to have a friend like that, a friend who was, who was a deep, authentic, intimate friend? What would it look like? Because Proverbs 17, 17 says, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. Here's the problem with this in America. According to American Sociological Review, very few of us have friends like that anymore. Listen to this. This blew me away. 25 years ago, the average American had six close friends. Today, the average American has two. 25% of Americans would say, I have zero close friends. One in four people in this room would say, I cannot tell you, we all have surface levels. We have surface level friends. I do not have a close friend. One in four, that's like two on every row, would say, I do not have a close friend. It's an epidemic. We have a relational problem in America, and we aren't even aware of it. And I want, any of you know who Jen Hatmaker is? Okay, Jen Hatmaker, um, she wrote the, she was, she had a, um, 
interview with a lady named Shasta Nelson. Was Shasta a drink at one point, Shasta? Okay, that's so good. I mean, I don't know. But anyway, Shasta Nelson said this. We now have doctors going on record saying loneliness is the number one public health issue of our time. In the New York Times, a doctor said, if, we have, if I have a patient who is a chain smoker, who is obese and lonely, and I want to do something for that person, the most important thing I can do for that patient is I'm going to get her or him to get friends. That will have a bigger impact on her health than the smoking and obesity. If you feel disconnected, listen to this, if you feel disconnected or don't feel supported, that's what friends do. They help you connect and they help you feel supported. If you feel disconnected or don't feel supported, it's as damaging to your health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. It's twice as harmful as being obese and does the equivalent of damage in our bodies as being a lifelong alcoholic. This is a problem. And in America, we aren't even aware of it. We're not aware of it. And she went on to say, you think about all the attention we give to smoking, weight control, and alcohol. And at the end of the day, how we answer the question, how loved and supported do I feel, will tell us more about our health 20 years from now than any other factor. She says we're wired to need each other. We're wired to need each other. And we're not even aware of this epidemic that's actually going on in America. I want to give you... That's, I think, the three top reasons why relationships have declined over the last 25 years so much. The first is, and this is obvious, but it's increased mobility, right? We're, we're, we're traveling more than ever before. The average American lives in one place for five years. If you're between the age of 20 and 40, the average American lives in one place for three years. I'm like, where are you guys going? <laughs> like, that's so weird, okay? Um, um, modern conveniences, this is the second thing. Modern conveniences. Um, you don't think about this, but like AC units, right? Before we had AC units, air conditioning, when people came home, it was hot, okay, especially in Texas. And so what did we do? We went outside. We hung out with people. Now, it wasn't me because I always had AC, but, but people, that's what people did, all right? Uh, and then the garage door opener. We don't even think about this. Nowadays, you can literally, when you're driving home, hit the back cave button, all right? And, and like the, the, the garage door goes up, all right? You go in, you can close it behind you. You don't have to see anybody. It's awesome if you care about security, all right? But what about people? Like what relationships, all right? So we don't even think about these modern conveniences. What about the answering machine, right? Some of you are like, what is an answering machine? <laughs> you know, but... And if you're younger, like me, I'm 18, okay? So if, I'm actually not, I'm 41, all right? But if you, if, back in the day when they had the answering machine, the answering machine um, kind of created a problem because it, it would allow people for the first time ever to screen a call. And you could be like, oh, I'm not talking to that person. Uh, and you could decide whether or not you want to call them back, all right? So literally what it did is it created distance between people. Started, relationships started declining. Um, do you know the number one and the fastest growing phobia in, a, in the world right now? It's the fear of talking on the phone. And you're like, we talk on the phone all the time. No, no, no. Here's what we do. Someone calls you and you let it go to voicemail because I don't want to talk to you right now, okay? And then we go, hey, what's up? I saw you called. <laughs> That's what we all do. And here's the reason. It's because we have a fear that we are not in control of the conversation. 
It's a, it's a legitimate fear that we're not in control. I don't really know what you're going to say. And so the younger generation has a real fear of being in control of that conversation. It's crazy. Um, the third reason, and I think this is the most important reason why relationships have declined, is the explosion of social media. Okay, every head went, uh-huh. Okay, we've all seen it. The explosion of social media. I want to be up front and I want to say this. I believe, we believe in connecting through social media. The church does it. I do it personally. We have, you know, you got Facebook, you got Instagram, right? You got all these different things, Twitter. Um, but here's the deal. Social media needs to be a supplement, not a replacement for relationships. It just needs to be a supplement to it. Here's what experts are saying. They're saying, we're not concerned about real face-to-face relationships anymore. What we are more concerned about, and this is what's so dangerous, is our online image. We're more concerned today about our online image, about what you think about me. Because I can control now with social media how you think of me, how you see me, what you think of me. I can control it. It's a control manipulation issue. That's what all this stuff boils down to. And so it's so dangerous. And so what we'll do is we'll share our hearts in 140 characters or less. And then what we'll do, right, is we'll take the perfect picture. And I mean perfect, all right? Like we will, we'll be like, ah, we'll take a picture of ourselves and we're like, we don't like that angle, all right? We're gonna change the angle. And then I don't really like the light. Can, Elise, can you get a backlight for me because it doesn't make the backside up? And then, and then right, and then we, we filter it, right? And then we put, we frame it which is just weird. That just takes too much time. And then we make the perfect statement. And then what we do is we post that online. And instead of leaving that for the world to see, no, 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 what we do is we go, who's liking it? We care more about who's liking it. And it's crazy what this is doing to our psyche. I cannot stand selfies. I, um, I watched two, two girls at a Ranger game a couple months ago taking selfies, and it was the most obnoxious thing. Literally the whole game, these two teenagers were just like, just like, I mean, like pursing their lips. Matt told me, guys, don't purse your lips, but I just did it, all right? So, but anyway, I was doing that, and they, they were literally doing that the whole game. And it was, I was like, that is the most obnoxious, arrogant thing. I mean, literally, I was so annoyed. I was like, the height of, you're so consumed with yourself that you spent the entire game taking pictures of yourself, right? And posting it and seeing what others think, right? And I was just like, so I cannot stand selfies. So I actually took a picture of these girls taking the selfies. I want you to see, oh, never mind. Okay, I took a selfie there. Uh, but no, the one, guys, the one of the girl, the, the girl, one of the girl, show the, no, 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 no. I don't like selfies. Hey, the one of the girl, the one of the girl. Ah. Okay, so every now and then all of us take selfies. But I, actually, you want to hear a funny story? Um, I really don't like selfies, all right? Um, the one in the gym, go back to the one in the gym, all right? The one in the gym, listen to this. So I, I was there on Thursday, and I, had, I came in with little Landon, uh, and, and we, I was like, I got to go take a selfie for this message because this, this is like a funny point. And so I was, I was trying to take this selfie, and I took this little selfie, and, and Landon sees his math teacher, all right, and we're, we're, and I'm like, and he goes, oh my gosh, my math teacher's there. And so he tells me, he says, uh, if you see her, if you ever see her again, you need to say hi to her, okay? And so apparently she says something to him on Friday at school. She said, what were you doing at the gym? And Landon's response was, oh, my dad was taking a selfie. <laughs> oh my word. 
word. I'm like, okay, I don't take selfie. You want to hear a funny story? <laughs> and so anyway, it's, it was, it's crazy. But it, we, we take selfies. And here's what they say. Here's what an article said. Um, social media is creating an epidemic of deferred loneliness. In other words, we get on, we're a little lonely, so we get on Facebook, we post something, and we go, I just can't wait. Someone has to like what I'm doing. Because we're so lonely. And so we have more friends than ever before. We have more followers than ever before, but we're so lonely, and here's the problem with it. The problem with it is you may be saved, like you may have Christ in your heart, you may be going to heaven, but that doesn't mean you're safe. You may be saved, but that doesn't mean you're safe. First Peter 5, 8 says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, will, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. You ever seen a lion hunt? A lion doesn't, he's not stupid enough to, to go and like jump in the middle of the herd. When they're in relationship together, they're protected, right? So what a lion does is a lion waits till one is alone, Because if I can get you alone, guess what? You're vulnerable and you're weak and you aren't protected by the herd. The enemy is smart. The Bible says he is looking around like a lion, seeing who he can devour. It's huge. We do not have legitimate relationships. And so one of our core values here at Creekwood is we do life together. It's because we have yet to see the person who is thriving spiritually when they do life by themselves. We haven't seen it. We've yet to see the person who is thriving financially when they do life by themselves. We haven't seen the person who is thriving because this is what happens. We are not protected. We're vulnerable. And I love what that Shasta lady, she said, she said we're wired to need each other. I wanna give you some good news today. I feel like this is what God wanted me to tell you this week. If you do not have this in your life, you are one friend away from changing the course of your destiny. Some of you are one friend away from changing your destiny. And I want to show you three different types of friendships that we all really need these friendships in our life. Most of you are going to see holes in your, in your friendship, your relationships, though, when I show you these, because we all need these three, but most of us don't have all three of these. Um, I'm going to look at King David in the Old Testament, and I'm going to talk about his three friends. He had three friends that were so helpful in, in allowing him to become who God wanted him to be. See, I'm going to tell you that God's going to use your friends to show you who you're supposed to be in Christ. God's going to use your friends to show you your purpose. So it's huge that we understand there's, there's three friends. There's Samuel, Jonathan, and Nathan. We all need a Samuel in our life. We all need a Samuel in our life. Samuel to, to, um, to David was a friend who pulls out the best in you. You need a friend who pulls out the best in you. Let me set this up. God had rejected Saul as the king. Saul was the king, was the first king. God had rejected him. And so he sent Samuel, this friend, um, to anoint the next king. And so that's Samuel's responsibility. So he went to the house of Jesse. Jesse had all these boys. Jesse goes, and he said, I'm, I'm here to, uh, to anoint the next king. Jesse brings out his oldest who looked like a king. He was tall, dark, and handsome. He was a tall glass of water. I don't know what you say about that, but he, he lit a cold glass of water. Whatever, he looked like a king, okay? And, and he brought him out, and the Lord said to Samuel, no, that's not him. Then he brings out, he ends up bringing out all the rest, the other six boys in a row. And, and before God, Samuel literally goes, none of them are him. 
God does not want to anoint any of them as the next king. And he says to, he says to Jesse, do you have any other boys? And Jesse says, like, almost as an afterthought, I mean, not, well, there's, there's one. <laughs> um, it's the young one. It's my youngest. Um, it's like, he's the runt. So, I mean, and he's out in the sheet, you know, hanging, hanging out in the, in the fields. He's, he really stinks. He didn't get ready for this. Samuel says, go get him. I'm not even going to be seated until you go get him. And so this is what it says in 1 Samuel 16. It says, then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. What's interesting to me is that there was not a single person who saw in David what God allowed Samuel to see in David. There wasn't a single person. His own father didn't see in David, the runt of the family, what God allowed Samuel to see in David. His brothers didn't see in David what God allowed Samuel to see in David. And what I'm trying to tell you is you will have a friend in your life. You will have a person in your life that God will use to speak life into you and call out the best in you and call out your purpose in you. Pastor Stephen was this for me. Our lead pastor, Stephen Nutt, he is my pastor, but he is my best friend. And I'm telling you 15, 16 years ago, when I was just a youth sponsor, we were just in church together, and he was a youth pastor. He used to look at me, and he would say, you're going to make a great pastor. And I used to say to him, I don't know what you're smoking, but it's the good stuff, the kind you can't even get anywhere. And I used to say, I, I am not going to become a pastor. He said, no, 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 you're going to make a great pastor. And I said, I'm in the business world. I'm not in the ministry world. They make money over here. They don't over here. And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about, but I'm not going to do that. And then my wife used to have dreams before we got married that she was going to marry a pastor. And I said, ha, 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 you're marrying the wrong one because I'm not going to be a pastor. God began to show people in my life what I was going to do and he didn't decided not to let me in on it. And he used other people to show me. God wants to use other people in your life to pull out the best in you and show you who you're going to be. So if you don't have friends, it's detrimental to your future. You have to understand how important that is. And he's planted a seed in my spirit that late years later came to life God's used one friendship to change my destiny. Stephen saw something in me I didn't even see in myself. He pulled it out of me. And I'm gonna say this, you will never become the best version of yourself if you leave it up to yourself. You will never become the best version of yourself if you leave it up to yourself. Do you have a Samuel in your life? Do you have a Samuel that will pull out the best in you? And then he, years later, Fast forward in David's story, he, anointed, he was anointed now to be the king. We just saw that. He wasn't the king yet, though. Saul was still the king, but he wasn't the king yet. But he, he, he began, what he, he actually went off and went back to the field to tend sheep more. But he became a war hero. He killed tens of thousands of people, and he got real popular. And Saul got jealous, the king got jealous of David, to the point where he wanted to take his life. And that's where we pick up in 1 Samuel 23, 15 through 16. It says, um, while David was at Horesh in the desert of Ziph, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. By the way, anyone, anytime someone's trying to kill you, it's a crisis, okay? And I mean, I don't know, if, maybe this is a common sense. If someone's trying to kill you, like, you need to run, all right? Like, I don't know if that's this, that obvious, but it's a crisis in your life, right? And then it says, and Saul's son, Jonathan, 
We all need a Jonathan in our lives. And Saul's son Jonathan went to David at Horesh and helped him find strength in God. You all need a Jonathan that can help you find strength in God. Jonathan was a friend who helps you find strength in the middle of your storm, in the middle of your crisis. So let me be clear about something. It is not if, it is when you're going to have a crisis in your life. And if you've never had a crisis in your life, um, you're 12, all right, like literally, um, because we all have storms in our life. We all have crisis in our life. And my experience is when a storm hits my life, I don't have time to prepare. So you better have some friends. You better have some Jonathans in your life that can get right in the middle of the storm with you and help pull you out and help strengthen you in the middle of the storm. I was in Houston just two or three weeks ago. Went there for a funeral, and it was beautiful outside. I didn't see anyone batting down the hatches there. They may have known there was like a storm coming, but they had no idea there was a 500-year flood coming. They had no idea. And, and, and I'm just saying, I'm, I'm a big believer um, in prayer, and I, and I think it's so huge that we pray for people. And I, I, we just did 21 days of prayer. I think it's so important. But let me tell you, there, no amount of prayer is going to put all the individual pieces back in, in, in the life in the city of Houston. There's going to have to be some people that say, oh, no, no, no. We're going to get in the middle of the storm with you. And while we're praying for you, we're going to help you get this. We're going to pull the sheetrock out of your house. We're going to help you get, to, get all this back together. There's got to be some people that aren't just praying from five, five hours away. We're going to pray. No, 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 no. We're going to get a U-Haul truck, and we're going to take that to where we can help the evacuees. We're going to get in the middle of your situation. We're going to become Jonathan in your life. I think it's so important we have a Jonathan. So many times I, have, I pray with people after service, and I'm praying. I'm listening to their story, and they're telling me about their financial mess. They're telling me about their, they, that they lost a baby, and you, they, they're telling me about all these different, like, terrible crisis situations. And they, so many people end it with, and I have nobody. I don't have family that lives in the city. I'm not close to anyone. I got a divorce. I'm not, and it's like, I have nobody. And I'm just like, well, what, you, don't even, you don't even need a miracle. Really what you need is someone in the middle of your storm with you. You gotta have a Jonathan in your life. Do you have a Jonathan? Do you have someone that says, I, I don't know what happened, but God woke me up in the middle of the night. And I, I, couldn't, I couldn't stop, I couldn't sleep because I began to pray over you and I prayed for, you for an hour for you and God gave me a scripture for you and I don't even know what it means, but it's for you. Do you have a Jonathan in your life? It's so huge. And then we all need a Nathan in our life. Nathan is a friend who tells you the truth. You all need someone in your life that, that's willing to tell you some stuff that's difficult to hear. We all need a Nathan in our life. Um, David was a man after God's own heart. We all know that. We've all heard that. David was a man after God's own heart. And God had blessed him, but there was a moment where he took his eyes off of God and he put his eyes on a lady named Bathsheba. By the way, if your name is Bathsheba, um, if your name starts with Bath, you, you may have some problems. Um, but um, if, if your name is Bathsheba in here, it's okay. Uh, my bad. <laughs> but but, if you're, but she, he ended up committing adultery with Bathsheba. And to cover up that sin, he had her husband killed in battle. So he kept just covering up sins and covering up sins. And um, the thing is, David didn't, he wasn't repentive of it. 
He wasn't, he wasn't, um, he didn't realize the gravity of what he did. And so God sent Nathan to tell him the truth. And Nathan came to David and he said this. I'm gonna tell you a quick little story. He said there were two men. One of them was really wealthy and he had all the lambs and all the sheep and all the cattle you could ever even count. And then there was another guy who was really poor and he only had one little lamb. He was so close to this lamb. This was like his best friend. This was like his little pet. And then there was the man who came into the town that they lived um, and was hungry. And so the wealthy man, instead of giving one of his countless number of sheep to eat, he gave away the one poor man's little lamb, his friend. And David heard that story and said, what? That man should be put down. And Nathan looked at him and said, that man is you. You committed adultery with Bathsheba and then you killed her husband. He was willing to tell him the truth. We all need some people in our life that's willing to tell us the truth because most people aren't even aware of this, but David wasn't repentive until Nathan told him the truth. And then David went on to write Psalm 51. Read it on your own. I'm not gonna share it with you. Psalm 51 is one of the most repentive prayers you'll read in the Bible. David, a man after God's own heart, committed sin, but then because of Nathan, became repentant. God knows we're gonna sin. It's a matter of our heart. We, but can we repent? Can we be a, a, a heart that says, God, I'm, everything I am, I give back to you. I'm, I, I'm so sorry for what I've done. Can we have a repentant heart? Read Psalm 51. It's amazing. It's because Nathan confronted him. Um, how many of you know you have blind spots? And you know what a blind spot is? I'm driving on 287, and I, there's a car. If you're in a blind spot, you can't, it doesn't matter where you're at. They, you can't see them. Um, and, and so, long story short, um, you need some people in your life that call out your blind spots, right? You need some people in your life that can say, hey, there's a car coming. Like, I wouldn't keep doing that. You're turning, but, but you're about to hit a car. You need some people in your life that'll call out your blind spots. I need some people. I don't need everybody, but I need some people in my life where I can say, hey, if you see anything in my life that concerns you, I'm giving you permission to speak into my life. You need some people like that. Um, because I don't know about you, but I've lived a little bit, um, and I'm one step away from stupid, all right? I literally am. Uh, and so are you, okay? So let's just be honest. Um, we're all one step away from being stupid. We need, we need another set of eyes on us because we have blind spots, and we need people to see our blind spots with us. So do you have a Nathan? Do you have someone who's willing to tell you the truth, someone that's willing to look at and find the blind spots in your life? Because if you don't, I believe you're one friend away from changing the course of your destiny. So it's, it's one thing to tell you we have a problem in America with relationships. We're relationally poor. It's another thing to tell you the types of friendships you need. It's like, great, Brad, I would love to have those types of friends. That'd be awesome. It's a whole other thing to get those types of friends. I'm gonna give you two quick pointers if you will do these two things and really, there's three. I'll mention the third in a minute. But it, I'm going to tell you these two things that are so practical, but most of us won't do them. And the first is, if you want a friend like a, a Jonathan, a Nathan, a Samuel, if you want one of those friends, you have to be present. In 2017, you have to learn to be present. Um, I, in fact, I want you to say this with me. I want you to repeat after me. I will develop my friendships face-to-face and not thumbs to thumbs. 
in 2017, we're going to develop our friendships face-to-face and not thumbs-to-thumbs. I'm not saying don't post anything on Facebook. Oh, I can't. Pastor Brad said I can't. Uh, My thumbs are hurting. They need to do something. No, 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 no. But we are going to develop our friendships face-to-face and not thumbs-to-thumbs because we're going to be present. Have you ever seen a family of four or five in in a restaurant and they're all looking at their phones? Stop that, all right? Be present. Um, When Jesus called his disciples, he didn't say, here's a book about me, go study it. No, no, no. He said, come follow me. Follow me. Do what I do. Let's physically do life together. Um, I did a, um, probably the most difficult thing I've ever done in ministry is I did a funeral for a stillborn baby. A stillborn baby. And I remember they had to deliver the stillborn baby. Like the, 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 the mom was delivering, she delivered the baby and the baby was in the room and I was in the room because they were taking pictures afterwards with the family because it's part of the grieving process. Um, so you've, you've just lost your child and so you, it's part of that grieving process. And I was in the room and I was a mess. It was a literal mess. I was just crying profusely and I just kept... I could not, I felt like I couldn't help them. I was a pastor in there trying to give them encouragement and nothing could come out. And I remember just kind of praying over them and going back to my car going, you are a terrible pastor. You gave them no encouragement. I don't even know if your prayer worked. <laughs> like, you know, I don't know. And I remember just, and, I, and this is what they said. This is, this is two days later, the, the, the husband said, you have no idea what your visit meant to us. Everything you said was perfect. What did I say? <laughs> I didn't say anything. But what I learned is sometimes you don't have to say anything because there's power in physical presence. We have to learn the art of being present again. If you want real relationships, you have to be present. Here's the second thing most of us have trouble doing, and that's we have to learn how to be intentional. You have to learn how to be intentional. Real authentic community and real authentic relationships do not and will not happen by accident. You have to learn how to be intentional. You got to do what your mama told you growing up. You want to have a friend like that? You got to be a friend like that. You want to have a Jonathan in your life? You got to be a Jonathan for somebody. If you want to have a Nathan, you got to be a Nathan. You want to have a Samuel, you got to be a Samuel for somebody. I'm just going to tell you right now, our heart at Creekwood is that we would have authentic relationships all throughout this church. I believe a lot of people have struggled with having real authentic relationships for whatever reason. Um, I, I don't believe that's I don't believe it's supposed to be this hard. At Creekwood, we do life together. We don't want you to be alone. We don't want you to be vulnerable because we know what what happens to you. So we do life together. So we were like, what do we do? How do we make this happen? How do I make what I have with Stephen happen? I can't force you to be authentic. I cannot force you to have these great relationships. But what we decided to do is create something, an environment that says, I can't make the relationship happen, but I'm gonna give you an environment for that space for it to happen. So we created life groups. And I'm telling you right now, I'm encouraging every single one of you, if you've not been part of a life group at Creekwood, 
this semester, we want 100% of the people that go to Creekwood to say, oh, no, no, this semester is going to be different. I'm going to go, I'm going to be part of a life group. Some of you have been part of a life group and it didn't work. I'm telling you, you need to recommit to a life group because you're one friend away from changing your destiny. You're one friend away from having a Nathan, a Samuel, a Jonathan. I want to challenge you to get into a group. Two weeks, not this week, but next week, we're launching life groups. Today, we've launched our directory. So all of our life groups are online. Get online and find a group. I'm challenging every single one of you to do that. Find a group. Get involved in a group. Let God change your life. And I feel like the Holy Spirit gave me two things that I want to share with you. Then I'm going to pray for you, then we're going to be done. He said, I'm a relational God. That's what God said to me. I'm a relational God, and I've created you in my image. So you, you have it in you to be relational. This is for one set of people. The key to your healing is going is to take a new step of vulnerability. Some of you haven't had a problem being in a life group, but you've never been vulnerable. You've kept it all surf, surface levels. He said this, everyone thinks you're highly relational, but you've learned how to play the game well, and you are lonelier on the inside than you've ever been before. This semester, you need to take a step of vulnerability and openness. God, I just felt like the Holy Spirit said it'll change your life. By the way, I'm speaking to myself. So thanks for joining in on this message that was for me. It's for me. I should have told you that up front. I feel like I've duped you. <laughs> but this is for me. The second set of people is the key to growth in your life is by making God-honoring relationships a priority. Some of you have a lot of friends, but you don't have any close God-honoring friends. More growth will happen in three months than in 10 years when you are planted in the right soil. Some of you haven't had growth in many years. Like the Holy Spirit saying, hey, growth is easy when you're planted in the soil that has nutrients in it. You've been planted all alone, but my nutrients are found in relationships. If you'll replant, I'll restore growth. God wants you to plug into relationships. Let me pray for you. Lord, I, I thank you for every person in this place. I pray in the name of Jesus over every family, over every individual in this place. Some of us don't even have two close friends. When reality, we need 10 close friends. So God, I pray that each one of us takes a step this semester. We say, no, 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 not anymore. Not anymore. I'm not going to be vulnerable anymore. I'm going to take a step to authentic, passionate relationships. Lord, I pray for every, every just healing in this, in this body when it comes to relational um, distrust and relational brokenness. I pray for healing over every person. If you're in here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, it's actually really easy. It's just a simple prayer. You pray in your heart. If that's you, you say, Brad, I want to know this, this Jesus. I want him in my heart. I want to know when I die, I'm, I'm going to go to heaven. I want to know that. I want that confidence. If that's you, I'm not going to make you stand up, but I am going to make you just, I, I want to pray for you. If you say, Brad, would you, would you pray for me? If that's you, would you just raise your hand? If that's you, would you just raise your hand? Say, Brad, would you pray for me? And just repeat after me. Just say, Lord, I thank you for this moment. God, I ask that you would come into my heart. I commit my entire life to you. I'm a, I'm a sinner, and I've fallen short, and I need you, God. That's payment for my sins. And so from this day forward, I commit my life to you. Today's a cornerstone day in my life. You pray that prayer, you believe it with your heart, confess it with your mouth. The Bible says that you are saved.
Lord, I pray a prayer blessing over every person in here. I thank you for your relationships that you have instilled in this place that will be the most powerful change in our life as we make a step towards relationships. It's in Jesus' name we pray and everyone said, amen. Thank you for listening. For more messages and information about Creekwood Church, visit us at creekwoodchurch.com.